Thank you, Don. Appreciate those songs. feel like I need to preach on that one after we sang through all the verses. That's one we don't usually sing all the verses through, but whether we're talking about uh, dross or hoary hairs or any of that, uh, that's, a, that's a good one maybe to look at sometime. But appreciate Don leading us in singing all day today, uh, songs especially this afternoon that a few that went along with the lesson. Appreciate Charles's prayer and all of you again for being here. Uh, I will give one more word of encouragement as I did this morning. We had a great night last night, a great day today. A great lunch today. We just want everyone to feel welcome to be a part of the congregation here. Be here for all the services you can be, for all the events you can be. I was thinking a moment ago about the announcements and looking at the things for March that are already upon us here and all the things that are listed in the bulletin that are coming up. Um, and it's just so encouraging when we can all be together uh, both on Sundays and certainly Wednesdays, but also at all the times in between. It's just uh, great to be a part of the family, and we appreciate you encouraging us with your presence even here today. We are going to take a break, as we said, from Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, like we did last Sunday, to talk about uh, the book of the month, to continue with our one-word study. Uh, just a brief review again. This has been uh, early last year that we went through a lot of words that dealt with God's church. Uh, we talked about church, fellowship, worship, kingdom, and proclaim. Uh, we just finished a series on our faith, <coughs> excuse me, and we talked about the basically the plan of salvation in a sense. We didn't talk about hearing, but we talked about faith or believing, repentance, confession, and baptism. And now we're going to move to a section that is called His Word. And we're going to talk about several words for about four or five months here that go along with the idea of God's Word. The word for today is inspiration. We're going to talk about the words covenant, truth, and gospel. <coughs> Excuse me. Again, all of those just kind of connected with studying God's Word and how it can be beneficial to us. Uh, like I said, this is supposed to be a weekly study. We've turned into a monthly study, and so we're up to the 35th word here and talking about the idea of inspiration. appreciate Charles, again, mentioning that in, in his prayer. So if you open up your Bible, it's possible that this word possibly never appears in your English Bible in the translation that you use. Now, you may have a translation that uses it. That's not uncommon. Um, we had a great... A series, couple of months over how we got the Bible, the transmission and the translation of the Bible on Wednesday nights back last year. Uh, and so we kind of hopefully came to a bit of an understanding of why or how words are translated and the fact that you may not see this word in your Bible. Uh, our English word comes from a Latin word that deals with the idea of spirit or, or breathing or breath. Uh, and so, you know, you see some of those in the foundation of these words, even in the Latin, although we're not going to, to kind of go through all of that. That's not necessarily going to be our purpose or beneficial for us um, the, this afternoon. But you even see in the Latin the word, uh, the root word S-P-I-R or S-P-I-R-O. You think about spiro, then you start thinking about expiration, uh, you know, and these kinds of things or expire and breath. That's kind of what we're talking about a little bit with this idea of inspiration. In the Old Testament, this is, there's only one instance, and this is in the King James, by the way. I don't think that made the slide. Uh, some of it got cut off anyways, but it's the only instance in the Old Testament is what the slide says there across the bottom. <clears throat> but also, it's really just in the King James Version. It's just in the King James Version that this word inspiration appears 
twice. The Old Testament, it's Job chapter 32 and verse number 8, where it translated this Hebrew word that's on the screen there. And I have the New King James, and it says, But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. That's the New King James, and it may be there that you see this word that's used for inspiration. Uh, but you kind of see breath in probably other versions or other translations, and you kind of begin to see how these connect. This is a word that appears 24 times in the Old Testament, and I think every other time or each of the other times it's used as breath. Uh, in almost every instance. And so you began to form this idea as we've said. When it comes to the New Testament, there is one word that is used again in the King James, and it's theonoustos is the way it's pronounced. We're going to break it down here in just a second. But this is the one word that is used. Uh, this is the Greek uh, word in the original language. I'll give you just a second to try to fill all that out or try to understand I always uh, get tickled when I send these to Faith sometimes and wonder if I can check her blanks, if she's got enough room in there or not, because you start getting P's and N's mixed up, and it's hard to uh, write out, much less hard to pronounce at times. But theonoustos is the word here in the Greek, and it is, of course, found, as you are familiar with, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. That is the passage where there is a mention of inspiration. Now, some of you may have used the King James all your life. Some of you may have differed between the New King James, or even a lot of people are getting into the English Standard Version, and that, that's fine. Uh, but we get tickled sometimes because you'll go to quote a verse, and you'll quote it using you know, inspiration, and then maybe like me, I'll look down, and I may not see it uh, in the same context, depending on the, the version that I have in front of me. But Paul would write to the young man Timothy here and say that all Scripture is given by Theonoustos, this inspiration. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And rightfully so, we will tag on verse 17 as it's a continuation that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped or thoroughly furnished for every good work. Now we're going to come back and talk about the rest of that verse as we make some application in just a few moments. But the phrase given by inspiration of God, is translated from the Greek, that theonoustos. It's a very rare word. And here's the interesting thing I'd like to share with you is that it appears only here in the Bible. It's a very rare word. And Paul's use of it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse number 16, probably represents the first time that word was used in Greek literature. Now, I know some of you are saying, what, what do you just say? Let me, let's try to take that in and understand. And we're going to go for a few slides on just this point. Sometimes the Bible uses words from the Greek language that everyone would use. And so it helps us as we study etymology, the study of words and their history, to understand that, okay, Paul used it here in 2 Timothy or Colossians or Ephesians. But we go over to some other Greek writing, poems or whatever it might be, and we see that same word used. It appears that probably this usage of the word is the first appearance in all of Greek literature. And so it becomes somewhat common by the 3rd and 4th century uh, that Christian authors, or we might even say the early church fathers, church historians would use this word. But the complete absence of this word in 
literature that was going along the time with Paul means that our usual method of trying to figure out what the word means may not work. So I know that I'm not a Greek scholar, you're not a Greek scholar, but when we go or people go to look at a word, they might open up Greek literature and say, well, here, I don't know, Socrates, whoever, maybe you could use all kinds of wrong names, but all these guys use these words as well, and that's probably the way it was used and when Paul is meaning it here, or some other writer. But that's not exactly what is happening here. So there's two words, as you think about it being broken down. The theo, uh, you think about uh, God, that idea of theology, or other ways that um, prefix is used to mean God. And then also this nuo, which is the idea of breathing or spirit. As we mentioned just a few moments ago, uh, the word origin, the etymology of this word appears rather straightforward. Charles mentioned it in his prayer, but we're not trying to be difficult, but if we just break the word down, it seems very straightforward. The first few letters deal with the word God or theos, and the second part of the word derives from actually the word of blowing or breathing, this nuo or pneuma. And so this suggests simply that it is, and it means God breathes. So you've heard me say it, you've heard the preacher say it before, but inspiration, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That phrase would mean that it is breathed by God. Now, here's the thing we want to make mention of, though, that this is not, we get a little, can be a little difficult when we think about words, because etymology is usually not an appropriate way to define a word. Okay, take that in for a second, then I've got a great example. It didn't originate with me. I've got a great illustration. But think about this. Etymology or word origin is usually not an appropriate way to define a word. And it's a joke that you probably heard your dad or your grandfather use a whole lot of times. But the reason this is true, that etymology is not an appropriate way, is because why is it that we park on a driveway and drive on a parkway, right? How many times have you heard somebody ask that question? Why is it that we drive on the parkway and park on the driveway? So sometimes looking at our words, they don't make sense, and we don't understand why that's true. Why wouldn't you park on the parkway and drive on the driveway? But that's just how we come up with our words sometimes. So go back again. Etymology is usually not an appropriate way to define a word. However... In this case, going back to what we just did with God, Theos, breathe, Numa, we don't have much of a choice because we can't look around at other usages of this. And so the meaning obtained through the etymology, it makes sense in this context. It just really does. In fact, the single use appearance of this idea of Theonoustos uh, does not eliminate all uncertainty on the process by which God chose to inspire the scriptures. Think about the Bible itself. The Bible itself uses different models. One thing that we see is that the prophets, the prophets say over and over again, the word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came to me. Or the prophets will say, thus saith the Lord. Well, what are the, what's the model they're talking about? They're talking about dictation. Now, whether that's a, a whisper in the ear or a voice out loud or whatever, we may not know exactly. But one of the models by which God breathed Scripture, by which God inspired Scripture, was dictation. The prophets say, God told me. God spoke to me. He dictated. 
So in the dictation model, the prophet expresses exactly what he hears God speak. And for the sake of time this afternoon, we won't go through several instances, but we could look at Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Hosea, and they give this idea, God spoke to me, and what I am expressing is exactly what he dictated. However, the problem is, and otherwise, this model does not always work for other biblical passages. Sometimes Habakkuk would say, maybe I don't understand, or he would question God. In Psalm 6, the psalmist questions God. He complains to God about what God is doing or how God is acting. And so some of these passages require a little more dynamic model of inspiration. But the end result is the same. All scripture is God-breathed and useful. We may not know for for sure 100% whether God whispered in their ear or it sort of came into their mind or whatever. I don't mean to scare you or cause you any doubt because of that. I'm just saying that sometimes the prophets say, he spoke to me. Other times we may not know exactly how they were inspired. But either way, whatever the model is, we know that the scripture is God-breathed and it is useful. It is absolutely useful. When we think about scripture and we think about inspiration, scripture frequently emphasizes that the words of the prophets and apostles are God's words. They're God's words. Think about Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 2 through chapter 3, Ezekiel talks about eating the book. It's a very interesting illustration or description, but Ezekiel talks about how he eats the book in order to fill himself with the word of God so that he can speak it to the exiles in their carried away into captivity. That's what Ezekiel talks about. I mean, almost like a prophet, almost like a minister, he's going to fill himself with it so that he can speak it to others. In 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Peter links prophecy to the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, you remember there that Peter says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? We don't know exactly. I'm sorry I can't answer that for you today. That goes back to those models we were just talking about. How were they moved? Maybe it was dictated at times. Other times it may be something a little different. But Peter links prophecies to the Holy Spirit. And here in 2 Peter, uh, he's talked about how the Spirit of God, one of the purposes of the Spirit of God is to cause people to speak God's words. Scripture says this time and time again, not only are the words of the prophets and apostles God's words, but their message is God's message. Prophecy was not a matter of a prophet deciding what he wanted to say. The prophets were men who were consecrated to the service of God, and they were impelled, if you will, by the Holy Spirit so that what they said came from God. We just finished the study on the Holy Spirit, and you probably remember me saying that in Acts chapter 2, on that night before that great gospel sermon, that Peter and the apostles didn't sit around and say, okay, who's going to have point one, and who's going to have point two, and who's going to speak first, and what's going to happen? The same way that I have to sit down each week and lay out an outline in a sermon, they didn't have to do that, because they were different than I am, or any preacher after them who was not 
uh, moved by the Holy Spirit in the same way that they were, <coughs> excuse me, but they were able to be moved to speak on behalf of God. Their words, their message were God's words and God's message. These words from God are necessarily true because God is true and he speaks for our, for our benefit. So if you have your Bible, let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3 for just a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 3. The kids, the young people, I guess they're actually not kids. Sorry, Hannah and Emma and Peyton, whoever was in there. The young adults, I call them kids. Because I mentioned, Gabe, I think I mentioned 2008 and asked, asked how old they were. And they shocked me at how old some of them were like in 2008 this morning in class. Uh, but these kids, by my age even, uh, I gave them a little preview of this this morning because we got to talking about it in class. Um, but we... we I've been thinking about it, and it's the idea of the usefulness of what Paul says here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul emphasizes this idea because all scripture is inspired, God breathed, thus it's useful for the purposes for which God has given it. So I've mentioned this in, in other sermons or classes, but scripture is not useful for every single purpose. Hear me carefully. Scripture is not, use, is not useful for every single purpose purpose and you already see it on the screen there but scripture won't help you fill out your tax forms which some of you are having to do right now right scripture is not going to walk you through the united states tax code in whatever form it may be that you use to fill out your tax forms however scripture will help you know that you shouldn't lie and that you shouldn't cheat and things of that nature when it comes to our taxes scripture won't give you much help when it comes to a recipe it won't give you much help in knowing how to bake something necessarily or how to make all different kinds of food. Though it will tell you that food alone does not sustain our lives, as we think about as well, right? The purposes for which God has given Scripture is not for help with taxes, it's not for help with recipes, but it is helpful for reproof, for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness, again, as Paul writes to Timothy and says there, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I'm afraid that too often we look at God, so to speak, and we shrug our shoulders and we get frustrated and we act like God's not there for us and he hasn't helped us. No, God doesn't come upon us, as we, people, some people say, and move us to know or to understand certain things. But he has breathed out his true words and message so that we can have what we need, so that we can be equipped. Is it easy? Absolutely not. It's not usually easy. But when it comes to our marriages and our parenting and our relationships, how to deal with each other in the church, how to deal with problems, all of these things, he has given us what to do. And our problems very often come when we refuse to do what he has breathed out for us to do and that's unfortunate but God has given us scripture for our own formation all scripture even the parts that we don't like we've joked about the genealogies reading the genealogies but what about Leviticus what about Ezekiel or Chronicles those things are frustrating a reading of Romans or of the Corinthian letters shows that Paul not only talked the talk but he walked the walk he had harsh words for these people, but he thought that Scripture was useful for churches, and he used Scripture to help mold those Christians. 
and we have an opportunity to be molded by it today. The question is, will we take advantage of it? Will we look to God's word in the moments of crisis in our lives? That's where we sometimes fall short. A couple of illustrations here, and then the lesson will be yours this afternoon. Number one, do you remember in Genesis chapter 32, going all the way back, to try to make a little bit of application for us, Genesis 32, that Jacob is going to wrestle with God. Jacob wrestled with the divine being all night long, if you recall in that instance, and he refused to relinquish his grip until he received a blessing. Chapter 32, verse 26, and he said, let me go for the day breaks. If you have a open and you turn there, that's probably a capital H he. He said, let me go for the day breaks. But he, lowercase h, Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Hopefully you already begin to see this illustration for our lives. But so often, too, we sometimes wrestle with Scripture. Have you ever wrestled with Scripture a little bit? I'll be honest, I find myself in that position a lot. It's why I enjoy teaching sometimes. It's a little stressful. It's a little hard. But it's, it's interesting and formational and good to say, you know what? I don't know what that means, but I'm going to wrestle with it. I'm going to try to figure it out. And I'm going to be prepared to teach. That's what sometimes scares people off from teaching. But can I challenge you that it will make you better? It will help you to wrestle with passages? There are so many passages that baffle us uh, in terms of their basic meaning. And other passages seem elusive. We don't understand why they're there. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, or we had an opportunity, several of us couples, to go up to the marriage retreat. And you know what we talked about there? We talked about the Song of Solomon. And most of the time, we want to avoid that in our classes, in our teaching. We say, well, why is that there? It doesn't do any good. But if you are a student of the Word, and you read that, that book, and you try to take in what it might pertain to, what it's saying, then it can bless your marriage. It can bless you, even though it seems like something that we say, well, that's no good for us. Again, think about Chronicles sometimes, the books of the Chronicles, First Chronicles 1 through 9. Why is it even there? What, what benefit is it to us? But here's the thing, we trust God's promise that he gave scripture for our benefit. He did. We might wrestle with Daniel, we might wrestle with Revelation, whatever it might be, we struggle with it. But God has given us, given us scripture for our benefit, so what we need to do is, like Jacob, refuse to relinquish our grip until we receive our blessing. We continue to wrestle with passages. We fill our heads with their sounds, confident that God is using his word to shape us into what he wants us to be. You know, sometimes people wonder, I have, maybe you have, why scripture can be so hard to understand and why interpretation sometimes takes so much work. But God has not given us scripture merely to instruct us in the basics of faith, hear, believe, repent, those things, but to bring us to maturity. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 1, and even in Hebrews 5, the Hebrew writer talks about being brought to maturity, eating a solid diet, not needing just the milk. We make that application to our lives. A baby grows up, milk to meat. Christians are to grow up too. That's great that you know, hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. That's great that you can share that with someone else. But if you stay an infant, 
That is not what God wants us to do. We are to grow from the milk to the meat so that we can train others. And wrestling, wrestling with Scripture is a major part of our training. If you've never done it, I would encourage you to try, to try, to pick a passage, just not out of the random blue, just to open your Bible and flip and stop and point, but try to think about or try to start reading a book. And when you come across something, don't skip past it. Don't just say, boy, that sounds tough and keep going, but wrestle with it and do not let go until you get the blessing from that passage. And can I suggest to you that sometimes that might involve including others? Maybe it involves calling an elder. Maybe it involves messaging the preacher and just saying, hey, I'm curious. Could you help me get started? Could you point me in the direction? Could you tell me what you think? Absolutely. Let's continue to wrestle so that we can receive our blessing. And then finally this afternoon, the writer of this particular section of the book uses an illustration. He says, when we moved into our house, we decided to paint our kitchen dark red. The beige color we put on the other walls in the house had made me accustomed to needing two coats of paint. But after three coats of paint, the kitchen still looked awful. The paint was very streaky. He said, my brother-in-law advised me, just keep going. Another coat brought some improvement. A fifth coat assured me that the end was in sight, and with six coats of paint, the walls looked pretty good. He makes the illustration that there are times I read a biblical passage and I have no idea what to do. I don't know what to do with it. So I read it again, and I'm still lost. But my brother-in-law's advice rings in my head, the writer says. Just keep going. He says usually five times through a passage brings some clarity. Even a difficult book like Revelation becomes much more digestible the more we read it. And, of course, this guy uses the example. He says, I didn't understand football the first time I saw it either. But watching it over many years has trained me to appreciate a football game. God assures us that all scripture is inspired and it's valuable. But he did not say it was easy. In fact, on Wednesday nights here in the auditorium, I know the ladies are having their class and enjoying that. But here in the auditorium, we're discussing the parables. And in Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, Jesus tells the apostles it won't be easy. They said, why do you speak in parables? He says, because it's not just easy for everyone to understand. There are people who are trying to attack me, and when I speak in parables, they're not ready to handle it yet. It's for our instruction, it's for our correction, it's for our reproof, it's for our training, but it ain't easy all the time. It will never become easy. But how can it become easier? Just keep reading. Just keep going. Don't just put it aside, but keep trying to study. And I think we can be blessed by our Bibles and appreciate the inspiration, the God-breathed scriptures that we have. I appreciate your attention through this lesson. And we're about to sing a song in just a moment. It's entitled, Jesus is Tenderly Calling. As we think about the Word of God, it does talk about Jesus calling us to follow Him. We see the examples of those men who walked the earth with Him, 
who, when he would talk about following me, giving up all and following me, the same request, the same command is given to us to take up our cross daily and to follow him. If you're here this afternoon and you're not a child of God, we'd sing to encourage you that you would become a Christian. If you're here this afternoon and you are a child of God, but you've struggled to follow him, we sing to encourage you as well as we stand now and as we sing together.